0: You're listening to All That Matters. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips.
1: And I'm Sarah Campbell-Azema.
0: All That Matters is a show about arts and culture around Alberta and beyond. Each week, we try to take small bites out of a big question. Today's episode, preaching to the choir. So I think we've all wondered at some point in our lives, how do we inspire people who aren't already in a club to care about what we do? Sarah, to start off, I want to tell you a story about an actual church. Um, I have this friend, Tim, who plays in an orchestra here in Edmonton. And he invited me to one of his concerts last year, a little music hall in my neighborhood. They played a lot of classical composers in the first half of the concert, but in the second half, there was this style of music that I didn't (laughs) recognize. And in the program, it said the songs were Shaker Spirituals.
1: Okay, keep going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that the Shakers were this religious movement started by a woman named Anne Lees, or Mother Anne Lee, back in the 1700s. And she was originally from England, but she left for what became the United States a couple years before the colonies became independent. And apparently, she left England because she was being persecuted for her particular band of Protestantism. So she started this movement that believed in pacifism and gender equality and some other idiosyncratic things with the time. And they went off and they founded their own little communities. And at their height, apparently, there were 18 shaker villages. And this is the rabbit hole that I went down after I read the back of the program at my friend's concert. Um, So their songs are still being sung today, but that made me wonder, why have I never heard of the shakers before? What happened to them? (laughs) Um, And it turns out that besides pacifism and gender equality, they had one other big core belief that really set them apart, which was celibacy.
1: Oh no. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, For some reason, one of their beliefs was that it was important for their members not to have children.
1: So, like, nobody could get married and have children?
0: Uh, marriage, from what I understand, yes, but childbearing was not uh, kosher. Yeah, But childbearing then, was
1: out. how do you spread the religion like, and <laughs> keep it going on?
0: Exactly, this is my question. And if you don't have kids to brainwash, how do you grow your movement? Um, apparently, they had some very determined members out there converting people. And on the one hand, it's probably not a surprise to you that there's only one Shaker community left uh, today. Yes. <laughs> it's Sabbath day like Maine. But on the other hand, holy crap, they've made it into the 21st century.
1: Well, there's birth control. So, I don't know, they just keep on recruiting people, but at least you you can still have sex. And No, I'm sorry, I can't think of any logic. No, I'm sorry, the celibacy thing is kind of driving me nuts. So. <laughs> uh,
0: well, today on All That Matters, I thought we should ask, how can art help us do the same thing? How can it help us reach out and bring people into hard conversations who aren't already among the converted?
1: We've got two stories today. One about a cross-country project to get First Nations and settler people talking about the struggles we have in common. The other is an attempt to get deaf and hearing communities to understand each other better.
0: Let's do it. So the deaf community and the hearing community are maybe the quintessential examples of two solitudes. Even family members living right beside each other can live in totally separate worlds if they don't find a way to reach across and communicate. The University of Alberta's studio theater is showing a play right now called Tribes that tries to bring both communities into a conversation through the story of a young man named Billy, and love and family. Uh, In the play, Billy is a deaf man born into a hearing family, and his family was reluctant to teach him any form of sign as he was growing up. So when he grows up and starts to fall for a girl who's losing her hearing too, he starts to ask some hard questions about where he belongs. Connor Yuenko martin is playing Billy in the production. Connor, like his character Billy, is deaf. So the voice he'll hear is actually Nicole Sander, an American Sign Language slash English interpreter. I asked Connor what he hopes hearing audience members leave with. Again, just so you don't get confused, you're about to hear a female voice. That's our interpreter, Nicole, translating for Connor and I. For audience members who don't have a lot of experience with the deaf community, what are you hoping that they leave with when they come to see the play?
2: I hope they understand that cultural identity is not limited to a family basis. Uh, It's scary that when you have a hearing family that then has a deaf child born into it, they don't understand how to communicate with them, how to expose them to culture, because that's a culture outside of their own. It's a scary moment for those parents. And this play, in a way, really shows a worst-case scenario, in many ways, where the family decides not to use sign language. They want their child to be quote-unquote normalized, and so they go through speech training and the oral method of communication. It's very difficult on a deaf person, and Billy's character then ends up resisting it. Families that are open-minded and embrace the deaf community when they have a child that is deaf or hard of hearing, I really encourage them to be a part of that because exposure to culture and language, social networking, all of that, the deaf community really does embrace that and support those families. I encourage them. To look for those resources so that their child isn't brought up in isolation and uh, feeling that isolation as an adult.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, this seems like a very ambitious play in both subject matter and in performing it. Uh, what are some of the challenges in rehearsing with a crew and a company that's a mix of hearing and deaf performers and crew members?
2: It, the challenges have been fascinating and just imagining doing this without interpreters I wouldn't have learned as much uh, certainly I would have been isolated myself the content uh, just the social networking the ability to have feedback in the moment and so on would have really stifled the process so having interpreters here for this has just been truly truly invaluable I, I can't put uh, uh, words to it to tell you how important that has been for me and that in itself has led me to success and being able to deal with this role. The issues maybe for hearing audience members will be seeing that there's a learning curve for hearing people sometimes and in dealing with this I'm hoping that they'll have a bit more of an open mind to understanding how complex the needs are of some people and in particular for myself as a deaf person.
0: Can you give me an example of a moment where there was like a misunderstanding or something important that you needed to communicate with somebody either on stage or in the crew where you were like, oh, I would never be able to do this without an interpreter or it'd be a lot harder?
2: just in imagining being without an interpreter right now, right in this very moment, uh, you know, sitting here having the tech booth way up there, the lights are out. I wouldn't know what's going on. Even if somebody had some notes uh, for me, I can't see them. They would have to pause, come up here, write a note back and forth to me. Um, It would really, really affect the process. The time of this would not be as efficient. With the interpreters, it's in-the-moment feedback and so on, and having the interpreter is a natural transaction of communication. So having that saves time, but it also gives me in-the-moment communication ability.
0: Yeah, something more natural.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, My understanding is that it's being interpreted in some performances. Can you tell me how much um, might be lost in the performances that aren't performed in ASL for audience members who um, are deaf? Or how much is lost in translation for audience members who don't speak ASL who are coming to a performance and maybe not getting everything on stage?
2: Uh, You know, it's very comparable that uh, deaf individuals would come and they'd get the general gist of what might be happening. But again, the vocabulary, the details, the nuances within the characters, the story itself would truly be missing. Uh, You know, there would be no spoken language there for them. So, in tune with hearing audience members, they would be out of the loop as well. If we did this purely in ASL without subtitles, uh, they would not get spoken communication that they need so whether that be in sign language or whether that be in spoken language um, i wish we could have interpreters here every single night Um, of course there's resource limitations funding limitations Uh, we're working on lobbying for this and we've been fortunate enough to have two performances with professional sign language interpreters that would be may 16th and 23rd and that is the two days that we've opened up and invited the deaf community so that they can truly have an inclusive moment in this participation as an audience member. And it's very interesting that there's a few points during the play where there is some sign language without, si- uh, without spoken language. And maybe the audience members will feel a little how we feel as deaf people being out of the loop. And so it's very intentionally placed throughout the play.
0: My last question, just what is something that you've learned from this experience yourself?
2: Mm. I think for me, uh, without spoiling the story, <laughs> uh, it's a very serious moment in the play where Billy confronts his family. That moment. Billy feels his family just hasn't been there for him. He hasn't been a part of that family and and he feels very disconnected from them. For me, my extended family, my aunts, uncles, and cousins and so on, all of them are hearing. Few of them have taken the time to learn some sign. At Christmas time, you've got 30 people mingling about and I'm the only one there. I'm not able to partake in the conversations like anybody else, and that really makes me feel alone. And that's a feeling that I've had several times until I was about 16, 17 years old, where it's really been spoiled moments for me because I haven't been able to connect with people who are my own family. Uh, So that, for me, has been awakening moments in uh, acting out Billy's character. If my family um, weren't as wonderful as they really are, I think maybe I would have disconnected from them too and left them behind, like Billy's character ends up doing. Um, Billy's story really is close to my heart. Thankfully, my family really did make efforts to connect with me, and so I'm a better person because of it.
0: Thanks to Connor Yuzwenko-Martin for speaking to us for that story. Thanks also to our interpreter, Nicole Sander, and to Selena Kitteringham and TJ Jans. Tribes is playing at the U of A's Studio Theatre through May 23rd. That last performance on May 23rd will have ASL interpretation.
1: You're listening to All That Matters from CGSR 88.5 FM. Today's show, Preaching to the Choir. How do we do better than that? Reach beyond people already sitting in the pews. Exactly. Well, the language and cultural barriers between deaf and hearing communities can be really big. And the gulf between First Nations people and the rest of Canadians can be even bigger. Train-A-Thought is a collaborative project led by the Jambalese Theatre working to mobilize artists and partners across the country. So the purpose of Train-A-Thought is to bridge or make connections between First Nations people, um, settler and immigrant artists, but other communities. Um, They make stops in 20 cities, and they go across nine provinces. So it starts in Victoria, BC, and then it ends in Charlottetown, PEI. I got the opportunity to attend the Arts, Body, and Land Community Arts Jam at the Nina Hagerty Center. And they talked about community indigenuity, uh, disability, and able bodies. Those were the main themes of the event. Um, when I arrived, they were serving food, and it looked like they had a local caterer, so it kind of felt like a home-style event. Um, and then afterwards, they moved people into the hall and the performance space, and it was just really a jam, a community jam. Like, there was people from iHuman, and they really incorporated the local artists with the people who are part of the Train project. So it was it was definitely entertaining.
3: Tonight is... is um Edmonton artists getting together to showcase what they're doing Um, and it's sort of a space where everyone here is either uh, what you know an artist interested in community stuff or you know some or Somehow directly involved in that sort of conversation And so it's really a space for us that sort of this night in particular is about exploring ideas about giving each other feedback about seeing potential so it's a it's it's yeah it's a way for people to say this is what I'm trying to do, and you know you might have an artist who's from you know, um, Co. Salish territories, and another one is from you know Mi'kmaq territories working completely different media, but it's a chance for us to see what's going on. This is a kind of work that happens. It's deeply community connected, but it. Um, some as someone said earlier in the trip. Uh, so work is happening in communities but the communities are often isolated from each other so mm-hmm. it's an important part to see it's important way to it's a it's an effective way to see what strategies are being used mm-hmm. um yeah in a way that's not like it doesn't normally happen because it happens in you know in basements or in, you know in community halls and not sort of on a national stage this is creating like almost like a quote-unquote national stage for small-scale community work
1: that's Nikki Shafila. She's an artist and partner in the Train of Thought project. So, she was really busy working hard during that event. Still, she was kind enough to let me follow her around with a mic while she was washing dishes and packing food away. Because she is involved with so many other projects, it's best that
3: she introduces herself. I am, um, I guess, loosely a theater artist that does a lot of community work. I work with a bunch of different organizations. I work with um, uh, a company in Toronto that does device theatre with uh, young women and girls who don't have a lot of access to arts education called the Amy Project. I work with um, a theatre journal called Alt Theatre Magazine that does, uh, that focuses on politically engaged and community based performing arts mm-hmm. and uh, a couple other things of, of what I'm working on. I'm working with Jumbly's Theatre right now um, on the Train of Thought Project which is, you know, how we are talking right now. So mm-hmm. Jumbly's is based in Toronto but they're producing this national uh, gathering called Train of Thought that's linking over 90 organizations and many more individuals from uh, uh, West Coast to East Coast. And uh, so it involves like a team of traveling people who are all people doing community engaged art in one way. So art for social change and particularly looking at collaboration between different cultures, specifically indigenous and non-indigenous communities. So the train trip is like two months long mm-hmm. and we stop at different uh, uh, places along the way, uh, both urban centers on major train stops or we drive off to, to, to uh, smaller communities and look at what's happening now or what isn't happening but could happen mm-hmm. um, by way of, of, of collaboration between mm-hmm. communities across cultures, um, looking at all kinds of, of big questions about you know how do we work together, how do we work together in the shadow of colonialism, um, what, what are the possibilities, what are we doing, what have been our successes, what have been our challenges. It's a group of people, well actually right now on the trip the youngest is three and the oldest is in i don't know her 80s or 90s because we've got like an artist's chat like one of their kids with us we've got kids we've got elders we've got yeah and artists of all disciplines um theater music dance visual arts mixed media it's really really cool to see yeah all these people thrown into a train together talking about big questions
1: it was pretty awesome when Nikki said that the purpose of Train of Thought was to ask big questions because the essence of all that matters is to ask big questions about why arts and culture matter in Alberta. So I had to ask her why she thinks arts is the best approach in asking these big questions. Some of these big questions include what stories are important to send around the country? What are the known and buried stories, names and landscapes? What protocols exist and can be created to acknowledge the places and people? How can
3: community engage Arts help us to shift tracks. Um, well, why art is a great question. I would, I would personally not say that art is the best way to do anything. I wouldn't say it's the worst way. I'd say it is one of many ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're looking at questions of reconciliation of addressing colonialism, we have to do it through every plane that we exist as humans. And art is an extremely formative one. Um, tonight we're at, so we're at. Uh, We're on the Edmonton stop right now. Tonight is this sort of community-sharing, sort of cabaret, culture jam. Everybody's showcasing projects or ideas that they're working on. And Ange Loft, who's the Associate Artistic Director of Jumbly Cedar, said something pretty cool. She said... uh, it's not enough to reconcile. We have to make things together. Mm-hmm. That's a really good uh, way to frame why where art comes into this picture. Um, it's yeah, it's through the process of creation that we can imagine new possibilities for the future of living. Like art is creating new ideas. It's imagining new possibilities. It's science fiction, and that's what social change is. Uh, it's also on like second to that, or in addition to that, is the fact that artists that are making art need to do so in ways that reflect possible futures, and that includes, and you know, should foreground. Uh, sort of intercultural, you know, looking through and after colonialism, the sort of rebuilding and imagination.
1: The Community Arts Jam was literally jam-packed with live performances from jig dancing to a hip-hop cypher. There wasn't a lot of time to interview the artists and performers, so I had to sneak outside the performance space and see who was available to talk.
4: Uh, so, my name is Sid Bob. I'm uh, Stalo and uh, from the uh, Vancouver area. And my mom's from uh, Tsileil-Waututh, people of the Inland, so I'm uh, Salish, but I'm living out in my wife's home community of Nipissing First Nation in Ontario for the last uh, eight years.
2: Okay. And do you want to be part of the interview? Uh, okay. My name is Ask.
1: Sure. How old are you, Ask?
4: Eight years old.
1: Yeah. Um. So, tell me why why are you here
4: tonight? Uh, I'm gonna be dancing with my dad and storytelling.
1: What kind of stories are you going to tell?
4: Um, probably me and my grandma.
1: About you and your grandma?
4: And my grandpa.
1: And are you nervous? How do you feel about it?
4: Um, kind of excited and nervous.
1: Yeah, that, I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, tell me why is it important for you and your son to be telling stories?
4: Um, for, for a lot of uh, First Nations communities and for ours in uh, Nipissing First Nation, where he's from, storytelling is, uh, is a long, rich tradition, uh, and it's about uh, uh, grappling with uh, uh, things that we're facing in our life.
1: Sid Bob and his son, Osk had to leave the conversation there because they were performing next, but immediately after they performed, we resumed our conversation about storytelling. Just spoke, you said that you were going to tell a story about your grandfather, right? How did you tell that story? Because you weren't saying any words, it was through dancing. Can you explain to me what the story was? Oscar was a little microphone shy, so his dad took over and answered most of the questions.
4: Yeah, so like many different parts of our regalia, mm-hmm. my son's wearing um, a porcupine guard hair roach, mm-hmm. and then he has two uh, eagle tail feathers on top. And then he also has uh his name on the his outfit. The Osk is uh for seal. Mm-hmm. And then he has also a killer whale on the bottom of his outfit. Mm-hmm. And um and then there's also the long ribbon on his outfit. And he's it represents grass. Yeah. Sorry, what does the ribbon? Um grass. It's like supposed to be like the grass like blowing around. Mm hmm. Yeah. And he's also carrying sweet grass mm-hmm. and, um, and a carved eagle feather uh, with an eagle on it. And so each part of his regalia has stories that go with it. Mm-hmm. And so for the um, the porcupine guard here, when you wear that roach, you're uh, saying that you're ready to protect. And so in the old times, it would be to protect your community and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also too, it represents uh, protecting Uh, what's important in your life. And so for us, the grass is important, Um, Mm -hmm. our women, Mm -hmm. um, our children. And so
1: what is the correlation between grass and women? If there is, or I I don't know if you're listing things, but what is the significance of grass?
4: So for grass dancers, uh, grass is one of the um, really, especially out here in Alberta, where my uh, grandma's uh, ancestry goes to, Mm Um, the wild prairie grass is essential for the bison, but also the bison are, are essential for the wild prairie grass, and so there's like a symbiotic relationship. And so <laughs> there's uh, buffalo people, there's people of the fish, there's many people across this country. But uh, we all understand that that all the plants are essential to all other beings. And so um, often when we're dancing, we're dancing. uh... Um, expressing our appreciation, but also trying to deepen our understanding of how everything interrelates and is uh, interdependent.
1: Again, thank you to Nikki Shafila for your time in explaining the project. Also, thank you to Sid Bob and Ask Bob for sharing your stories. For more information about the Train of Thought and event dates, go to trainothought.com.
0: So from your perspective, sitting in the audience, how well do you think they did reaching out between First Nations and non-First Nations people?
1: I had a hard time c- trying to get their purpose of the project. So in bridging or um, expanding their reach so that non-Indigenous people are also part of the project and also non-artist people were involved, I didn't get that. I felt like you had to be an artist or part of the community to attend the event or kind of just get the purpose of what the event was about.
0: Interesting. So how can artists bring in people who aren't already part of that circle? Because it sounds like they were, you know, really committed. It sounds like the participants, like Sid and and Ask, were like definitely really passionate about sharing their story with people mm-hmm. there. Um, how how do you bump it up that extra level and, and share with people o- outside of that world?
1: I think the issue is is about the wording or the how you target the event. Um, I think with the story about theatre, it's open. That can be an intriguing story for many people, and in a sense they're not really involved because they're just watching it. But for this Arts Jam, I felt like I was part of it by just being there. And for most people, if you're not aware of Indigenous issues or interested, then you may not want to attend that event. So the issue is like, how do you include people and make it seem like a broad event without losing the purpose of what that event is about. Because if you make it um, anybody welcome and this is what we're talking about, we just want to make community, then you've lost the purpose because the event is about specifically indigenous people and non-indigenous people making a partnership.
0: It's interesting because lots of people in the theater world who are passionate about social justice, who want to talk about social justice issues, encourage more of this kind of theater that's participatory that like looks at who's in the audience. Um, and, and what you're saying about like that the play that we talked about earlier in the show, Tribes, that it might be more comfortable because people don't feel like the spotlight is on them. <laughs> um, that's interesting that that might feel more inclusive or more welcoming for people who aren't already part of that world, maybe mm-hmm. because there's less pressure on them to feel informed about it already.
1: And maybe it's not so deliberate because um, there was one point in the interview where you asked the question about how things might get lost in translation. And um, the response was that there are times that the audience doesn't understand because everything is in sign. That is that's just kind of like I think the audience may not realize it's um consciously that 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 is how the person actually does feel when they're deaf and nobody's there to interpret or translate.
2: Hmm.
0: So giving people an experience
1: that they're not aware of. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: All right, well, we'll have to leave it there. That does it for this week on All That Matters. All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM.
1: If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, email us at allthatmatters@cjsr.com, at cgsr.com. And point your friends toward our Facebook page and Twitter feed. We are at ATMCJSR. We really appreciate when you guys spread the word.
0: Our theme music is by Dokashi Teru, additional music on today's episode by ARCA, and in the Tribes piece you also heard Evelyn Glenny, an amazing Scottish percussionist who is deaf herself. I'm Chris Chang Phillips.
1: And I'm Sarah Campbell-Fazema. Thank you for listening.